0: Welcome to Fashion Designers Get Paid, a podcast for burnt out fashion designers who wanna ditch the toxic rat race, say bye-bye to backstabbing bosses and work with brands who value and respect them. I'm your host, Heidi, and I believe that you can do things differently in your fashion career because the truth is most industry jobs will underpay and overwork you and having your own brand is far from profitable. Let's also be honest, most of them fail. So if you actually want to, well, be a fashion designer and get paid, The best way to do it is as a freelancer. Now, maybe you've been told that brands don't accept remote freelancers, or that freelancing means being an exploited temp employee working full-time without benefits. Or to work freelance, you have to be a rockstar expert with all the skills from design through development. I'm gonna show you that it is possible to be a real freelancer in fashion, work remotely with brands you love, and make money, even if you're terrified you don't have all the answers. You got this, and I'm here to help you do it. Dear listener, I hate to break it to you, but as a freelance fashion designer or PD, TD, et cetera, you have to sell. I mean, only if you want to get clients. But here's the truth. Selling does not have to be gross or scary or pushy. And the sales process is actually more about the prospective client than it is about you. My guest today is Nikki Roche, who's been in sales for over 25 years and has sold to organizations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Hewlett-Packard, and NASA. She shares her signature framework, The Selling Staircase, and walks us through the step-by-step strategies you can use to lead a sales conversation from start to finish and close the deal. Nikki also shares her circle back strategy, something I had never heard of, which is a simple way to prevent from getting ghosted. I guarantee you it will help you get more clients. If you want to turn more conversations into paid projects, you're going to love this episode of Fashion Designers Get Paid. Let's get to it. Hey, real quick, before we jump into the episode, if you're sick of being tied to a desk and want more freedom in your day, I want to help you. Snag my free limited time training, how to freelance in fashion, even if you're terrified you don't have all the answers, to learn my five-step freelancing framework so you can work for yourself in fashion and get paid. Get instant access at sohidi.com slash freelance. We'll link it in the show notes. All right, now let's get started. Your one of your philosophies on your site says you tell people, you teach people like what to say and when to say it. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to kind of just like start there. That really like piqued my interest. And so talk to me a little bit about, you know, why do you focus on that part of the sales cycle? And how is that really, really impactful for people who are in sales, which as freelancers, people are like, I have to do sales? Yes, you're a salesperson. So talk to me a little bit about that.
1: It really comes down to, I find that... Most people who get into their business don't really think about there's going to be a sales component to it. Yeah. Yeah. And what holds a lot of people back is they're so worried about saying or doing the wrong thing that they just don't do anything, which mm. is not going to help your business grow. Yeah. Yeah. So I truly believe that it, my job is not to teach people how to sell like me, my job is to show people certain ways that they can be more strategic and still be genuine to their own personality. But by having a little bit of structure to a sales conversation, so you know like, where am I in the conversation and what should I be saying or doing next? It isn't about me just handing you a script and go like, word vomit it back to me. That's not going to work for anybody, honestly, because you don't talk like me and I don't talk like you and i want it to feel organic and real and so that's why i give structure of like what to say and when to say it is not me saying like you have to say this exact thing although there are certain phrases sure. i do recommend people use but it isn't um it isn't like talk like nikki it's like yeah. you know be yourself but be strategic yeah. in the conversation because when you know how to pick up a buying signal, when you know how to invite people to the next step, when you know how to Mm -hmm. issue close language, that's how you earn business. And when you earn business, you get to make a bigger impact in the world.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple of specific questions. First of all, I want to go into some of those like strategic one-liners that do exist. But before we do that, like let's maybe do a little pretend situation here. So I'm a freelancer. Um, you know, my audience is specific to fashion. Um, so I land my first discovery call. Like I'm, I'm to the, like I've pitched or I've connected with somebody somehow, maybe it's through Upwork, maybe it's through my network or like I got a referral and I'm getting into that first air quotes, like sales conversation. Um, where, how do you like, what, how do you guide me? What do you start thinking about?
1: Yeah. So the first thing you want to think about is what's your pre-frame? What do you say at the start of the call? And then what are the questions that you have prepared to ask? I truly believe that questions are the name of the game in sales. So you need to be able to ask really strategic questions that start to plant the seeds about your expertise and what you bring to the table. So instead of being like, oh, I feel like I got to dance in this call and like prove my worth. No, you need to ask really smart questions that lets the other person go like, oh, I didn't even think to that I needed to know that. But because you're asking, that demonstrates that you know something I don't know. So yeah. of course, I need to find out more. And in order to do that, I need to hire you. Yes. So I've asking really smart questions and then... Then you know you move to the next piece in the conversation, which is I just to back up just for one step here, I teach a five-step process to a sales conversation. I call it the selling staircase. And step three, four, and five is kind of what I'm kind of going over with you right now, like discovery or sales call is step three. Step four is proposal. So when you get to the place where you're going to lay out your offer, there are some specific things that you do and say there. So for instance, if you have a couple ways that this person could potentially work with you. You always want to lay out your offer top down. So you want to start with your more expensive offer and work your way down. And there's reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then step five is what's known as the close. And in the close, it's it's the second most misstep in the selling staircase because most people get to step four and they lay out their offer and they don't know what to do or say next. So now the call gets awkward and weird. Mm. But if you have some closed language, it's really easy to put that in front of somebody, say it to somebody, and then it allows for the other person to do one of five things, which is the most important. like Make a decision to say yes to hiring you. Mm -hmm. Say no, they're not interested. Ask a question. Issue an objection. Or set up the next conversation, which is the, I need to think about it response. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So people get so scared and freaked out of like, well, I gave them my price and now I don't know what to do and say, well, you have to close because if you don't attempt to close, you what happens is in the mind of the buyer, they think, I'll decide later, but they don't decide later because mm-hmm. they're busy and they've got a million other decisions to make. Yeah, And you lose that business and now you waste a bunch of time and energy trying to chase somebody down who starts ghosting you. That really shouldn't happen in your sales conversations. And if you go through a process and you have some language around it, it saves the seller so much angst, so much energy, so much time yeah. That they're not just wasted on people who aren't gonna buy from you anyway. Yeah. Or it also helps you close that business faster so you can get the work started. And now we yeah. get to actually deliver results.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I've I've got a bunch of questions. Okay. I'm gonna kind of go back to the very beginning. Yeah. You said I'm taking notes here too, because you're saying so many great things. Um, you said you start with a pre-frame. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. Like, what does that look like? You're kind of setting the tone for the call, I imagine. Like, yep. can you give some examples of like how you yep. might think about pre-framing that conversation?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of things you want to do in the pre-frame. You want to make sure that you specifically check in and start to. It's it's this is from my background in neurolinguistic programming. So, yeah. what you're doing in the pre-framing is you're pacing and leading. You got to pace before you can lead. So. The thing about the pre-frame is you have to create safety. For the other person, which sounds kind of odd, especially if you're a seller who's like, I'm just so happy I got this call and I feel nervous. Why do I yeah. need to create safety for them? Yeah. I'm yeah. the one who feels threatened, right? <laughs> but if you don't create safety in the mind of the buyer, they can't relax in the conversation. Yeah. So, an example of a preframe is I might start by saying, You know, Heidi, thank you so much for taking this time to meet with me today. We're scheduled to chat for about 20 minutes. Does that still work in your schedule? So just by doing that, it helps set the stage as to what we're going to be, like how much time we're going to be together. Because mm-hmm. the thing that everybody is short on is time. And if somebody isn't sure how long the call's going to take, and they think, like, should I say something? Because I have to leave to pick the kids up from school in 25 yeah. minutes, or yeah. I've got another call scheduled or whatever, they can't stay present in the conversation, So by checking in, making sure first and foremost that that time is still allotted, it sets that like, oh, okay, now I can start to like relax into the conversation because I know how long it's going to take. And then the next part of the pre-frame is I usually will say, now, in order to make this time meaningful and productive for you, is it okay if I start with a couple quick questions? That's my way of asking permission to lead the conversation. Yeah. Most people don't pre frame their sales calls or their discovery calls, whatever you want to call it. And because they don't pre frame, what happens is it becomes a time suck because the person starts, like the prospect takes control of the call. And they want to tell you all the things about, like, where they got their idea and why they started, you know, down this road and all the bad experiences they've ever had. And Which is all interesting, but not necessary to earn their business. Yeah. And it starts to muddy the waters and it sucks up all the time. And then you don't ever get to the heart of the matter of like, do you have a problem? Do I have a solution? Should we work together?
0: (laughs) I love it so much. Um, A lot of my students have gotten in situations similar to this. What happens a lot in, in fashion is they'll be talking to a brand and the brand, you know, the design director, whoever they're talking to is used to like interviewing people for like full-time roles. Uh And immediately the freelancer, like the conversation slips right out of their hands and it turns into like an interview. And I always tell them like, listen, I go, this is a muscle, like you've got to exercise it. And depending on personality types, some people could be really assertive and like take control of conversation really fast. Um, but going in with a, a structure like this, and I do also always advise like going in with questions and, and like leading that call really early on. Um, so, so yeah, it's easy to kind of slip into that either like the founders just dumping all the information on you or the design directors used to interviewing for employee roles and just turns into interview mode, which is not going to get you, like you said, the end result that we're looking for here. Um, so right. I love that preframe strategy. It's like just a couple of quick sentences to set the stage and the tone for like how this call is going to go. Twenty minutes, I'm going to start by asking you questions. Does that sound good? Yes, let's go.
1: yeah. Um go ahead. And the other thing I was going to say about that is that in a sales conversation, when it when it's your business, it's really important for you to remember there should always be a balance of power between you and the prospect. Yeah. So if you let it go into a mode where this person is interviewing you, yeah. they now hold the power in the conversation. Yes, they sure do. And you need to balance that power out because otherwise you just sound like a candidate. Yes. Right. You don't want to be seen as a candidate. You want to be seen as I'm a professional. Mm -hmm. And I'm interviewing you as much as you're interviewing me to Mm -hmm. see whether or not I want to work with you and I'm yeah. going to make that decision. So when you can set that stage of that, there is a balance of power. I don't want to hold more power over the client because they'll go find someone else to work with that yeah. Yeah. doesn't make them feel less than. But they don't get to hold power over me because yeah. the truth of the matter is they will think less of you. Your credibility will be diminished. So we've got to balance power. And the way that you balance power is by starting with a preframe and setting the stage. Now, could it still go off the rails? Could they still try to go into interview mode? Yes. But you've got some skills now where you can bring it back around. You know, you can answer one of their questions and then go right back to now, in order for this to be meaningful and productive, is it okay if I ask you some questions? Mm-hmm. Right. Like you can you can answer their question and then go right back with yours, get permission yeah, to ask question right back for them. Yeah. yeah. You don't you don't have to just let them take control because I always say, like, if you get into mode of like Dan, Dance monkey dance. They they'll want you to dance for them, and you shouldn't do that in a sales conversation because it does diminish your credibility.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I love all these points so much. As a sales and like psychology and marketing nerd, I'm like I love the nuances of this of this conversation. Um, okay, so we start with the pre frame, which I love, and then if it starts to slip, you can always bring it right back. Yeah. Um, And then you said lead into the conversation with some like you're saying, okay is it okay if I start asking you some questions and you say smart questions, give me some examples. And and I know that it can depend on the context and the nuances of the situation and how the, the, um, the relationship started, but like just from a high level, what are some ideas of types of questions that you might want to be asking at this point?
1: So I always work with clients specifically to help them come up with their specific questions for their mm-hmm. business. But I usually yeah. say, take the things that make you unique, the thing that you're offering that really sets you apart in your marketplace, and you know, write out what those things are, which sometimes feels uncomfortable because you feel like, well, I'm just tooting my own horn. Well... Yeah. It's your business. You need to. <laughs> right? Nobody else is going to do it for you. So yeah. write those things out and then see if you can turn them into a question. So for instance, I was listening to one of your podcasts and um, the person that you were talking with was talking about, like, he didn't know ahead of time that he needed a tech stack. I think I'm saying that wrong, right? But help me a if tech I'm saying pack? Tech pack, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. That he needed a tech pack and how important it was, but he didn't know that going in. Yeah. So the person that uh, he hired, I think she was a client of yours and he was really singing her praises. Yeah. And so a perfect question for her would be something around this tech pack. Like, have you already seen the value of what your tech pack is gonna bring in in your negotiations, for instance? Yeah. Because she asked that question... In, the, in that conversation, the person who doesn't even like an idiot like me, I don't know what a tech pack is, right? I'm not yeah. from fashion industry. Yeah. So I would be like, wait, what do you mean tech pack? Like what? No. How, how is that going to help me in my negotiations? Well, yeah. that just planted the seed that... I, I'm sorry. I can't remember what her name
0: was. Do you remember? Um, I think... Are you talking about the episode with Sexy Ted? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was Crystal Lewis. So Crystal. Crystal. I was going to say bed. Crystal, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. didn't want to say yeah. it wrong. Yeah. So,
1: okay. So, I, and I don't know Crystal and I don't know sure, Section sure, sure. either, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, this may or may not be an appropriate question, but for her to be able to plant that seed, because it sounded like that was something that really made her stand out as far as what, what she brought to the table. Mm-hmm. So she needs a question around that that's going to let the person go, oh... Uh, Yeah, I, I guess we don't have a tech pack or... Yeah. What does that mean, right? And yeah. now they're leaning in. When somebody's like, what does that mean? Or why is that important? Or why do I need that? They're leaning in to you. And you want people leaning in because that's them really at this point going like, tell me more. I'm curious. Yeah. You obviously know something I don't know. And that's yeah. a really good sign with your questions. Now, there are standard sales questions that you should be asking, right? Like, what's your time frame? who besides yourself is involved in the decision-making process. You need to know who are the players and the decisions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what's your budget, frankly, or what have you you know, allocated for this? Those are really standard sales questions and you should be asking them. And you need to have some questions that really highlight who you are and what you bring to the table.
0: Mm. How do you, I have a couple questions here. So okay. based on, Piggybacking off what you just said, I need questions that highlight who I am and what I bring to the table. Is that that tech pack op, um, yeah, e- example? Yeah, so basically yeah. saying I know how to do really amazing tech packs. Just turning that into a question of like, okay, well, first, do you know? Do you understand the nuances of a tech pack and why you need a professional one to get the designs made? And they're like, I don't really understand a tech pack or why I actually need one. And you've instantly kind of placed yourself as. I say expert lightly because people can freak out of that word, but I'm not an expert, yeah. right? But like you at least are like one, three, five, ten steps ahead of the person that you're talking to. You know at least what a tech pack is and you can help guide them in that sense.
1: Yeah. And especially if that's part of your service, right? Or yeah. if that's something that you're helping them do. Yeah. So it's going to make sense when you make the offer to bring back in the offer itself of how they're going to end up with this tech pack that they need and how it's going to help them. So okay that's why it's just, it's so critical that these questions plant seeds around, oh, that obviously that's something that I need in order to get my design, you know, to fruition or to whatever it is I'm trying to do in the marketplace. So yeah, yeah, your questions are so critical.
0: Okay. So what if, like that works really well for that example, because Mm -hmm. Sexy Ted, which you guys will link to that episode in the show notes, um, He was new to the fashion industry. He was startup founder. And a lot of times in those scenarios, the founder doesn't know all the nuances of getting a design made and et cetera. Um, but what if you're talking to an existing company? I mean, it could be in any realm, right? Whether it's fashion or something else where they understand like the nuances of the pieces and parts that they need to get the job done. They just need someone to come in who can do it. And asking a question around that type of topic wouldn't be relevant. Like every existing brand in the world knows what a tech pack is and they understand why they need one. So and arguably any and all of the services you're going to be offering them to some extent. I mean, beyond the fact that like, maybe you're amazing and you just deliver on time and you're really easy to work with and like all those added value things. um, But as far as like the core work that you would be doing for them, they know that they just need like the extra help. What types of questions might you think about in that type of scenario?
1: Okay, so in that kind of scenario, one of the things that you might want to be thinking about is, so how important is it that you have um immediate access to the person that is in charge of xyz for your for your line or whatever it is like mm. it could be something around availability for okay. you like if, is your availability like are you somebody who's liberally available mm-hmm. or how important is it that the person is local to where you are i don't know if that's a criteria or not right but yeah. so think about what are those things about you being the person who delivers or um, it could be even in the way that you track the work that you do for them. Like, is it important to you to be able to get a report that shows, you know, what's been worked on and and where things are in mm-hmm. the process? Mm-hmm. So if that's something that you have available. Now again, okay. help me with this because that might not be a hundred percent right on to your answer, which I'm totally sure. fine with you sure, pushing sure, sure. back on that. Because I'm not from the fashion industry, I don't know that I know specific, but I do this with clients across the board. So sometimes it's just helping me understand what are the things that make you unique? And I can almost always give you the question for it.
0: Yeah. So let me talk about this from maybe like a more high level. And then I think you'll probably wrap your head around it a little bit more based on the nuances of our industry. So I often... Um, Encourage people to do a tremendous amount of customer research to understand, like what are the pain points and what are the dreams of like these various brands. And like if you're working with a small startup, the pain points are very different than like if you're working with a medium or large established brand. Mm -hmm. Um, Like a small startup, the pain point is like they don't even know what they don't know, right? They don't even know that they need a tech pack or what it is. If you're working with like a smaller meet or like a medium or some type of established brand, right? They've done a few seasons. They understand what a tech pack is and how to go into development and all that stuff. Um, It might just be a matter of they hate doing tech packs. They just don't like that role or um, they can't really warrant having someone on their team full-time or they've gotten in a situation where, you know, they've had flaky freelancers who, like, aren't delivering on time, or they still just for some reason, they feel like the tech pack process is a pain. And their samples are coming back inaccurate because the tech pack wasn't thorough enough. And it's taking, like, five samples to get through to the finished prototype, which is costing time and money and development, right? So mm-hmm. I know, from I, this you know freelancer who's working with you to do my sales better, I know that, okay, this medium-sized brand, they know how to do tech packs, but there's these various little pain points that I know they might be experiencing. Um, so maybe it's just kind of leading with like, which is kind of what I teach is, where are things getting stuck in your tech packs? Like, what are the challenges that you're having with the tech packs? Like, where are things going wrong? Where are things falling through the cracks or something like that? Just kind of getting a bigger picture of like, people often, people are very aware of the problems that they're having. They don't always know the solution. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But if you can get someone talking about their problems and then you can kind of come in and say like, oh, great, well, here's how I can make sure that doesn't happen. Or here's how I can get five samples down to two samples and we can get things through the pipeline faster, um, save you a ton of money, et cetera. So that's the way that I think about it based on our industry. Um how does that resonate with you and your very extensive sales training?
1: Yeah. So I think that's super helpful what you just gave me. So, for instance, the the one about the samples, right? So, if yeah. you were to ask somebody, you know, typically, how many samples are you having to get in order before you can move forward with something? And yeah. if somebody said five, then you could plant a seed right there and say, so, um, how important is is it to you to to reduce that number by mm-hmm. half or more?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So
1: if you understand that and you know, and and now if they say like it's not important, well, I'm gonna guess that most of your clients wouldn't say that, right? I'm like pretty sure everyone who, would say it's important. Who doesn't yeah. want to reduce their sample number, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's that's a prime question though, because it starts to plant the seed in their minds of like, oh, so if we worked with you that would be a focus for you is to help us reduce our sample numbers yeah. and overall you know i'm i'm assuming that's overhead right and yeah it just expense right so yeah. that i think is an important question to work into the conversation to start to plant that seed that you know one of the things that my clients find the most valuable is that we are able to reduce they're sampled by 50% or more. Mm -hmm. That's pretty traditional when we get involved with this Mm -hmm. part of the business. Yeah. So... You know, asking asking questions like, "What is the biggest struggle right now?" Like, "What's the goal? What's the struggle? How close are you to achieving that goal?" Mm-hmm. And you know, what prompted you to have this conversation with me? All of those things mm-hmm. are they're going to be giving you information. Yeah. And I would say, make sure you're taking notes. Write down those yeah. key phrases, those things that they're commenting on, because then when you deliver back a potential offer for them, you want to use their key phrases and their keywords more than you want to talk about it with your lingo or the way that you talk about it at your firm. That is totally irrelevant. It's more important to talk about it in the way the client talks about it. Because now it's like, oh, I feel like Heidi gets me. like She's speaking right to me. She's got the solution for our problem. So we can trust her.
0: Yeah. I talk a lot about using the client language right back at them. I'm like, literally jot down all those words. And you want that all threaded out through everything. Um, So much magic in that simple strategy there. Um, Okay, so we've preframed, We've asked a bunch of questions. And then uh, you said a top-down proposal, and then you close. Yep. Am I missing something in there?
1: No, so when you so the next piece is to move them from the discovery piece that question piece and move them to the place of of making an offer. Now, the way that you move clients from one step to the next, so in this case from what I call the discovery portion of the call mm-hmm. to the proposal piece is you ask permission or you invite them.
0: Mm-hmm. So a
1: typical invitation would be, you know, based on what you've shared, I do see some ways that we could work together. Are you interested in hearing about what those might be?
0: We'll get back to the episode in about 20 seconds, but real quick, if you're scared to freelance in fashion without a steady paycheck, I want to show you exactly how to get a full list of clients so you can pay your bills and so you don't get your hopes up and then have to go right back to the fashion job you hate. I share it all in my free limited time training, how to freelance in fashion. Even if you're terrified, you don't have all the answers. Get instant access at soheidi.com freelance. We'll link it in the show notes. All right, now back to the episode.
1: Wait, see what they say next. That's just yes, one, please. <laughs> yeah, right. Like who's going to say no to that? And then when you lay out your offer, this is this is really where I think the selling is happening. Like where what most people kind of picture as traditional selling, you really shouldn't be doing that prior to getting to the proposal stage. If you're doing selling, and an example of that is a lot of times people will ask a question in that discovery they'll let the prospect answer and then they'll start selling a solution. Mm -hmm. And then they'll ask another Mm -hmm. question. Now the prospect will give an answer that kind of changes what it was that they were going to recommend. And now Mm -hmm. they'll start selling another solution. That's a huge mistake Mm -hmm. because you're muddying the water. So you want to keep your your question piece really clear and clean. So you don't want to comment on their responses. You don't need to sell on, on their responses. You wait You get permission, you move them to the proposal, and then this is where you stand in your place of credibility and authority, and you recommend the right solution for their needs. And sometimes there's a difference between recommending the right solution and recommending what you think the person will pay. And that Mm. in order to stand in integrity, you should recommend what they need and the solution they need. Now, if they've been really clear to you and they say, look, we're only looking to invest $50,000 in this piece of the project. And to work with you, it's $100,000, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe there's a disconnect there. Or if maybe they say we have $50,000, but really for the project they're asking, it's only $25,000. You don't want to recommend more than what they need. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to undersell it either because then they'll be unsatisfied. So it's okay to say to them, you know, based on what you've shared, my recommendation for you would be this package that includes all of these things It's 50,000. I know you mentioned your budget is only 25,000. We can look at a solution that gets you started if you're interested. So, of those two, which would you be most interested in moving forward with? That's me closing, by the way. (laughs) I'm checking to Uh, see are we ready to move to this next step? So, um, or if maybe you only have one solution that is the right solution for them, it's okay to just put one solution in front of somebody. I always say, don't ever put more than three initially in front of somebody. And if you're going to put three, you have to do top-down selling. And so what that means is, let's say you have three solutions. One is, I'm totally making up pricing here, Heidi. So if I'm like so
0: crazy out... The numbers are a little high for my audience. They're a little high. Okay. Yeah. So I would say, let's say like... 10,000, 5,000, 2500 or maybe something like that.
1: Okay, so perfect. So if somebody says, "Well, what's it cost to work with you?" or you've you've moved to that part in the disca- or in the proposal where you're ready to move and lay out the offer, you could say, "So there are three ways that we could work together and they range in price from 2500 to 10,000. Now, at 10,000, here's what you get." And you explain the $10,000 offer first. Mm. Then you can move your way down from there. But one of the things people often do is they start with the twenty five hundred and they explain yeah. that, and then they go, "Well, if you want to spend more money, you can." <laughs> but and then you'll get more. And then if you spend even more money, then you get more. People don't like that. It it like messes with our brains. I always oh, say okay. it's like people. If you do it the other way, if you start at the top and work your way down, we naturally as humans start to attach ourselves to things. So if you start at the $10,000 offer and you explain what's included, people don't want to give up those things to save money.
0: Yeah. They don't
1: want to spend more to get them, uh, but they don't want to give them up to save money. Does that make sense? Yeah, Where I'm it going totally makes
0: okay. sense. Just the sales psychology behind it yep. Once you've explained that $10,000 package to me, I've gotten really excited about all the things that are included in it. And and I don't want to, like, I think they're, what, what is it? It's it's more painful for people to lose something that they already have than it is for them to not gain something that they didn't have. That's right. Am I kind of thinking about that the yep. right way with this? You're, you you okay. know that.
1: You totally know yeah. that.
0: Yeah. So, this is interesting. And I just sent out a big proposal for a brand partnership, and I did not do top down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do it next time, Heidi. I really I recommend it. It will I make will. such a difference. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, so, go ahead.
1: I was going to say the thing about it is, it doesn't always mean that the person will pick the most expensive. Sure. But they are much more likely to pick the right solution for them versus like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the basic package and see where I can get. No, yeah. they're much actually they're much more likely to buy the the package that makes the most sense for them. And as a matter of fact, I work with this, I work with clients all the time on this. So one of the first questions I ask them mm-hmm. when we're trying to figure out their offer is like, what is the thing you most want to sell? And usually somebody will say, let's let's say they'll they'll go, well, I've got this $5,000 offer and I feel really good about it. And then I'll ask, okay, what's the offer above it? And they go, I don't have an offer above it. And I go, well, we need to create one because we yeah. need an anchor offer for that yeah. higher price. Because sometimes when you say to somebody, it ranges between 2500 and 10000 they go, well, I don't think I need to spend 10000 But now the $5,000 offer looks Sounds real great. sexy. Yeah. yeah. Right? So yeah. it helps them make a better decision for themselves. So so if you said to me, what I really want to sell, Nikki, is my $10,000 offer, then I would say, okay, we need to create a $20,000 offer to sit above it. We yeah. need an anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, now, careful, because the one thing you don't want to do is create an anchor that you don't want to sell. So, only create an offer that you want to sell. Because, take it from me, I've learned this the hard way. If you sell the anchor and then have to deliver on it, and feel like, dang, I did, I priced that way too low, or you know, whatever. I like, just didn't want to do that option. Yeah, I never thought anybody would pick that option. No, nope, <laughs> believe it or not, and my clients come back to me all the time, and they're like, somebody picked my higher offer, and I'm like. Yeah, because sometimes people just want, they want it everything. They want it all yeah, done.
0: Yeah. And they're
1: so happy to pay for it. Yeah. You just got to make sure that you're happy to deliver on it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great points there. Um, so for my average listener and or even like average student who's just starting out and freelancing, creating a package of like $2,500, 5000 10000 I think can feel quite daunting. They're like, I'm not okay. quite there yet. Like, what do these packages even look like? You know, they're still kind of land They're They've been an employee. Let's just say they've been an employee their whole life. This is their uh-huh. first venture into freelancing. Um, maybe they don't fully have these packages fleshed out based on, they just don't know their clients needs that well and, you know, figuring out all those nuances. So I'm on this phone call And I've gone through, I've set the pre-frame, I've gone through my questions and I'm like, great, let me make some type of offer and try to get to some type of close to work together. But I'm likely gonna need to like go back to the drawing board Mm -hmm. and crunch some numbers, maybe get some help from some people behind the scenes of like, okay, they want me to do this thing. How do I even price this? What do I do? Um, Or maybe they're even working hourly. And I know there's a lot of, Poo-poo on hourly rates, Um, I do actually suggest people start hourly depending on where they're at in their career just for simplicity purposes and Mm -hmm. and project-based pricing can get really tricky. It's very easy to underprice. Um, So where would I go in the conversation if I just didn't have all this stuff already built out, these packages
1: Yeah. So and that's okay, right? Like we all have to start and you have to figure it out. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with this scenario if that's you listening right now and you're like, that's me. Great. Perfect. (laughs) You're in the great spot. So here's what you do. So you would say to the client, you know, based on what you've shared. Uh, I do have some ideas of ways that we could work together. I'd like to take a a day or two and put together an offer for you that I think is going to make the most sense. Mm. Can we go ahead and schedule a time on our calendars now? I'll send that over to you, but let's get it on our calendars to review it together. Mm. now before you get them off the call you schedule your next call with them
0: Mm. because if you say
1: i need some time to think about it and i'm going to put the offer together and then i'm just going to send it to you now it goes into the black hole and you might Mm. never hear from them again so this piece of i call that a circle back call and Mm. it is so crucial to your success so I don't care what you do over the next two days to put together the <laughs> offer for them. I care that you have a circle back call scheduled. Mm. If you don't have a circle back call scheduled with them, the chance of you earning that business diminishes day by day significantly. Yes. So they get busy. They forget how interested they were in what you said. And they forget yeah. to look at your offer. And you send it over to an email. And maybe they look at it or maybe they don't. But they don't look at it at a time where they can dedicate any you know, precious, like, time, like, mental energy to it. So they never decide to hire you. It just gets
0: buried. (laughs) That's right.
1: It's like pushed below the fold. You never want to be pushed below the fold. So... If you have that, that circle back call scheduled, now what's going to happen is they're like, oh my gosh, I have a call with Heidi in like 10 minutes. I better look at that email, <laughs> yeah. like review it, go through it. And then now I've got some questions for her. And the thing about getting back on that call with them and walking them through the offer is it allows for you to answer the questions that come up for them. And the the truth of the matter is, one of my coaches said to, said this to me years ago, is he said, Nikki, most people are one question away from hiring you. And the piece that I add to this is you have to give them the opportunity to ask you the question in order to earn their business. Yeah. So we have to walk them through the proposal. And if you send it and it just goes out into like la-la land, we're... We're never going to earn that business. And all that time and energy and angst that you spent putting together this brand new offer that you're trying to figure out if it's if it's a viable offer or not, you're not even going to get any feedback yeah. because you didn't schedule the circle back call. So I feel really strongly about this. This is like a soapbox box issue for me. You have to schedule that next time to chat and you have to walk them through the proposal because... Yeah you we just we've got to get those questions uncovered in order to earn that next step of their business so don't be afraid to get on the call and say again a preframe at the start you know the purpose of this call today is to review that proposal answer any questions that come to mind for you and then talk about next steps for us working together now yeah. have you had a chance to review the proposal what questions have come to mind? Like, I'm just yeah. repeating what I just said. And yeah. then at the end, after I've answered your questions, I say, okay, are you ready to get started? Should we go ahead and schedule the first time that we're going to meet or whatever makes sense in the business?
0: Okay. I love that circle back more than you know. I appreciate your soapboxiness because, okay, um, yeah, this is not a strategy I've taught before or I've really heard before, although it makes absolute sense, but this ghosting thing is real. It it's happens. Written. Yeah. And I'm often talking with students and giving them ideas on how to like get that lead back. Right. Um, but I love this cause you're, 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 you're preventing it in the first place. It's preventative. Yeah. 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 Instead of reactive.
1: That's right. That's right. That's a hundred percent what it is. Because if you're trying to chase somebody to get back on the call with you or to try to like... If you think you're going to just send them an email and they're going to respond, what's the chance of that happening? Or you're going to pick up the phone and they answer. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you're not on my calendar and you call me, I'm not answering my phone. Like (laughs) I I don't know your phone number. Right? Yeah. So so what are the chances you're going to get them on a call? And ghosting is such a... like. It's so prevalent, but it's most of the time it's prevalent because we didn't do the work, the, the pre-work. Like we didn't mm-hmm. make it easy for that person. Because mm-hmm. again, most of us live and breathe our calendars. If you're mm-hmm. on somebody's calendar and, and they're on yours, when you call, they're going to answer.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, okay. So we know how to submit the proposal one way or another depending on if we have our pricing figured out yeah, Um, and to get that connect with them again. So, and you've, you've done it a couple of times in our conversation, but I want you to break it down a little bit more like going in to ask for that close. So can you talk a little bit more about the nuances and the structure of how that question should look or what it, you know, how it should be formatted?
1: Yeah, so the closed question is a yes or no question, okay? So sometimes in sales, and I teach this too, there are certain questions you don't want to be yes or no questions. Mm. But with a closed question, it should be a yes or no. And the reason for it is because you're saying to that person's brain, make a decision. And our brains are lazy and they are overloaded. <laughs> I don't know, have you heard the stat? There's a, there's a couple of them out there about... The average adult makes a certain number of decisions a day. Have you heard this oh, before? Yeah, Heidi? it's
0: like 10,000 or something. I mean, it's obscene how many decisions. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. If you think about like how many decisions do you think you make in a day, they say the average adult makes between 30 and 60,000 decisions. I, way off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most people don't guess even as high as you guess. Sure. But they're they're like, like 100. Yeah. Yeah. I get that all the time in trainings where people are like, I think I've made 100 decisions today. Right. Yeah. So, the thing about it is our brains are lazy, our our brains are overtaxed and if we don't have to make a decision we won't. So when you get to the close, the close question need, needs to be a yes or no question. So it's it could be anything from are you ready to get started? Should we schedule your first session? Mm. Is this a proposal you'd like to move forward on? Right? Those mm. are all closed questions. Now, here's a couple little nuances to it is once you've asked a closed question you zip it. You stop talking, which is hard in sales. (laughs) But once you've asked a closed question, you are now playing the game, whoever speaks second wins. Okay? You cannot keep talking. Most people, what they'll do is they'll ask a closed question, but they're nervous, and so they ramble. And that's called selling past the close. And it's a huge mistake because now you're trampling on that person's like time that they're taking to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And a confused brain does not buy. Mm-hmm. So zip it, be quiet, and just wait
0: and see Endure what they say next. That uncomfortable silence. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I one time had um, she's a sales, like she's a mentor of mine, a business mentor of mine. And she's like, Nikki, I can't, I can't be quiet. I don't know how. Tell me how. And I said, put your lips together and press. Like, That's the answer. That's it. Just hold it. Just wait. It's not even going to be as long as you think it's going to be. But just wait.
0: See what they say. Literally bite your tongue. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. Especially, I mean, uncomfortable silences are uncomfortable even with people that we know when we're not in like a pressured environment, right? Um, But silence can be good. Just take a Mm -hmm. few deep breaths and let the person react.
1: Silence is an advanced selling skill. So every single person listening, if you're willing to do this, you now can say you have an advanced
0: skill in selling. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. To circle back to the very beginning of the conversation, and I think you've already planted some of these seeds throughout, but you said that right at the end of the day, sales comes down to your voice. Like, I'm not going to sell like you, Nikki. You're not going to sell like me. Um, and so it's sometimes working out the nuances of your own voice and what that process looks like. And and also the nuances of like what you're selling in your industry, I think, can can make some variations. I'm sure high-level structurally that it's all the same, but you did say that there were some, I'm going to, this is not the word you used, but some more formulaic type of sentences that you can use or strategies. Um, do you remember what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah. I think, well, I yeah. think so. You told me. Okay. If, yeah. If so can you just share
0: this. like some of those more cut and dry sentences? And, and I imagine some of them are in the clothes.
1: Yeah. Some of them are in the clothes. Some of them are, um, Couple things that come to mind. And I feel like that this is a big question. So we could probably just like do a whole episode that was <laughs> like just on this. Okay. But some of the more kind of standard things to think about and be ready to say is um what would it take to earn your business? Mm, I love that line. Don't shy away from that question. It's such a great question. I'm writing that one down
0: right now. Yeah. Most
1: people haven't thought of it. And so until you pose it to them. They don't even know the answer, but because you're willing to pose it to them and then they have to actually think of the answer, which our brains are like Google. And if you go to Google right now and you type in anything, doesn't matter what it is, Google tries to give you an answer. So this is why the brain loves questions is because it it can then try to give you an answer. So if you're not sure what to say or do, ask a question. Period. Like, just ask a question and see what happens. Because their brain wants to answer. So what would it take to earn your business? And then wait and see what they say. Bite that tongue. (laughs) Yeah, bite the tongue and see what they say. Because they might be like, well, nobody's ever asked me that before wait. Their brain is still processing. Mm -hmm. Don't justify it. Don't explain why you're asking. Just Mm -hmm. wait and see what they say next. Because it could just be that they're like, well, I just need X, Y, and Z. And you're like, I have X, Y, and Z. No problem. Should we go ahead and get started? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. be willing to straight to to the close almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like they've just said, like, this is it. This is what it's going to take. So if you can deliver on that and you can show that you can deliver on that, yeah, don't be afraid to ask for somebody's business. Yeah. Um, another thing that I will say about that is, I don't even know if I, I think I just lost my train of thought or where I was going to go with that. Yeah. It's, it really comes down to asking a question every step of the way. So I always say in each step of the selling staircase, again, I mentioned that's my my signature framework for a sales conversation, mm-hmm. is I show that, you have to issue an invitation. And so an invitation is the form of the question. So it could be, is this something you'd be interested in chatting more about? Is this something we should we should schedule a time to talk about? Do you have your calendar available? Right? Mm-hmm. Like these are really simple questions, but this is how you move people through the process. So I guess maybe my big answer is, it is about asking a question.
0: At every stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah because if the person doesn't know what to do or say next they'll they'll hang out they'll they don't know what to do so they're like they're waiting for you to take the lead yeah but the way that you can take the lead in a graceful way so that you're not putting all the pressure on yourself to to have the perfect phrase or the perfect thing is you just ask a question
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it's it's it really is that simple in a sales conversation it's asking questions waiting, letting the answers come from the person because most of the selling happens in their mind and they're deciding, because you've asked me great questions, because you've challenged my brain in some way, there's something about working with you that feels right.
0: Yeah. And I love all of this too because the the whole idea around asking questions shows and makes the prospect feel that you're there to understand them, to help them, to get to know them. And it's about them. It's not about you. Like, you know, so many people are like, oh, sales feels gross or slimy, right? But at the end of the day, like the way you have this five, uh, the staircase structured, it's all about, like you said, you're not selling them into something they don't need. It's not gross or, or scuzzy on any level. It's asking questions, understanding their nuances, where they're coming from, how you can support them, and then literally just, do you think it makes sense to work together? Be quiet. (laughs) That's right. You you nailed it. You nailed it.
1: Yeah, I think one of the misconceptions about sales is that people think that selling is something you do to another person. Mm. And I teach that selling is something you do with another person it should be collaborative and in order to have a collaborative conversation there needs to be conversation there needs to be back and forth and that means that you need to ask questions but you also need to be able to give them opportunity to ask you questions too so here's another question kind of back to your thing about like what are some standard questions don't be afraid to ask somebody what questions come to mind for you now that's kind of different than what most people say. They say, "Do you have any questions?" Don't say that to people. Mm-hmm. "Do you have any questions?" is a yes or no answer. Closed. And and it's a close yeah, it's a closed question, but the problem with it is that it's so common that most people have a knee jerk answer to it and they don't even like slow down enough mm-hmm. to think if they have a question. So if you say, "Do you have any questions?" they have a knee jerk, "No, I'm good." But if you say, what questions come to mind for you? They have to slow down and go, do Hmm. any questions come to mind for me? And that's where their brain will like bubble to the surface. Here's the question. And that might be the question they need answered in order for you to earn their business. So that's another one of my like favorite questions to ask. And also there's no context to it. What questions come to mind for you? Is It's non-context specific, which means they could ask anything. And so we're just, we're giving them free reign.
0: Right. It's not about what questions do you have about the proposal or the price? What questions do you have about what it's like to work with me? We're just trying to be so open-ended to give them this room and space to think um, and come up with anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it'll also give you some insight as to what are the things they're focused on.
0: Because mm-hmm. they'll ask questions
1: about the things that seem important to them. Mm. You know, my background is in tech technology sales. And one of the best compliments that I used to get when I would go and do ride days, I worked at the manufacturer level. So I would do ride dates with dealers and distributors. And they would take me and put me in front of their clients. And they used to always say, Nikki, you never give the same presentation twice, but you always get the same information out. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. because I'm waiting for their questions. I'm letting them ask me questions and then I'm delivering the information that's important for them to know. Because you could sit here and go, Nikki, tell me everything you know about sales. And I could literally talk for days. Mm-hmm. But I don't, it doesn't matter what I know about sales, it's what are you interested to know about sales Mm -hmm. and can I speak to that and same for your clients what are they interested to know about whatever it is that you offer and if you don't get that and you don't speak to that then they don't think you can help them and that's Mm -hmm. probably not true
0: Mm -hmm. it's just how you presented or positioned yourself in the conversation is it doesn't feel like a match even though you can Mm -hmm. walk away going like I know I could have done it Yeah. 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 Um, this has been unbelievable. I have a bunch of notes. I'm going to have to like look through this and create like a high level outline for myself, um, for sales and strategy. Fabulous. Um, thank you so much, Nikki, for coming to chat. Um, where can people connect with you and find you online? Can I offer
1: a little gift to your audience? Is that okay? Totally. Yes, okay.
0: please. I love how you So I've permission. mentioned it
1: a couple of times. <laughs> so I've mentioned a couple of times that I have this five-step process to a sales yeah. conversation. I call it the yeah. Selling Staircase. So I have a training that just breaks down these five steps. It's called Mastering the Sales Conversation. So I would love to gift it to anybody who would like to go and watch it for free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can get it by going to... Let me look and make sure I have the right link here. YourSalesMaven.com forward slash fashion. Awesome. So that's for your audience and they can grab that. It's a short training. It's less than, I think it's less than 18 minutes. And it will break down like all five of the steps and give you tips and techniques along the way so that whatever step feels uncomfortable or still like, "Mm, I don't know if I got that one yet. Yeah. Like you'll walk away with something you can immediately implement.
0: I love it. I'm going to put my email in there. Okay, good. Um, We'll put that link in the show notes. I love that so much. Um, And then I'll end with the question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview and I'll structure it a little differently for you since you're not in fashion. Uh, But it is, what is one thing that people never ask you about working in sales, replacing that for the word fashion, um, that you wish they would? I
1: love this question so much. (laughs) I'm going to say the one thing that people... Maybe rarely ever think to ask me about is how do I increase the lifetime value of my clients? Mm. And I think in business, you know, instead of always thinking about we got to go out and find the next client and the next client and the next client, mm. we should be thinking about how can we maximize opportunities with our existing client base. So for me, it's about increasing lifetime value. And I love, love, love to work with people on ways to yeah. do that yeah. because, you know, you're your best clients are your repeat clients. They're also yeah. the least expensive clients to earn. So
0: yeah. yeah, so just how to get ongoing projects, how to maybe even just get also referrals is kind of a tangent to that, right? Absolutely. But, absolutely. Um,
1: but yeah, increasing uh, lifetime lifetime value of a client I think is so crucial to scaling your
0: business, yeah. We're gonna have to have you back on to talk just about that topic.
1: Okay. <laughs> I would lo- I would love to. I love to talk about it. And rarely any nobody wants to, nobody yeah. asks me about it. So
0: yeah. Well, I didn't get to it in this conversation, but we will get to it in a future one. Um, thank you so much com- for coming on, Nikki, and sharing all your expertise. Super, super valuable. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the fashion designers get paid podcast. If this episode inspired you in any way to get out of the mass produced rat race and get your fashion career out of the hands of toxic corporate bosses, just like one of my students did Alexandra, who makes more money in one day of freelancing than she did in two weeks at her old industry job. Yes, true story. I'd love to help you take control of your own destiny as a freelance fashion designer or TD, PD, pattern maker, etc. Get instant access to my free limited time training at sohidi.com freelance. We'll link it up in the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. We release new episodes every Monday to help inspire you for or help you get through the week ahead. You got this, me and my team are rooting for you.